electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The offer heard around the world, a Twitter takeover by Elon Musk, whether it happens and what it means to investors. Let's debate that with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Shannon Sakosha, Steve Weiss, Josh Brown, John Najeri, and the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's go to the wall, though. Check the markets where we stand today. Yields are up sharply. There's the 10-year at 280, which means that NASDAQ, of course, is lower by one and a third percent, nearly 200-point decline. The Dow is hanging on to the green, albeit barely. S&P has gone negative. You have about 4% moves in rates today, and that is up and down the curve. So that's very much the story. The other big story, of course, the offer by Elon Musk for Twitter and what happens next. And I couldn't wait to get Josh Brown's opinion on this. I'm so glad you are with us today. $43 billion, 5420 a share. You used to be a shareholder. You've been opining about this. What do you think about this now? I was very pro uh, Twitter reaching out and trying to see if they could get board seats, at least a board seat in Elon Musk's possession, because I do think he is one of the only people of any note that are still actively creating content and bringing people to the platform. Um, This was way beyond anything that I expected, but it's really exciting. Uh, Each year, the state of Nebraska produces about 250 million pounds of popcorn. We may have another supply shortage. That might not be enough. I think if you're a shareholder, you'd be very happy with 54.20. I don't know what the, what the prince is tweeting about, intrinsic value. There is no value. It's a melting iceberg. Most of the value of Twitter historically has gone to the creators, the, 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 not the company, the people who are using it. They derive like 95% of all the value. And then there are some ad sales, very small, $3 billion a year in revenue. I guess that just goes towards maintenance uh, and, and maybe keeping a, a headquarters up, but there is just not that much intrinsic value. So what should happen here is that Sundar Pichai um, from Alphabet should come in and, and see if he can uh, issue a competing bid. I don't know that he has to go materially higher, but this should not be a one-bidder situation. I think what's unique about Alphabet and Google, they could instantly double or triple the productivity of the ad business. This could become real-time Google search, basically. Um, and I think they should really be considering, I hope they are. I don't know if they have the guts to wade into something like this, though. Um, if not them, I don't know who else. $41 billion is way too much money financially. Somebody has to just really have enough money that they don't care um, to be bidding for it the way Elon is. So that's, that's where I see it. Um, I don't think it's a buying opportunity because we've also seen Elon Musk get bored. And there's not another election for board seats until next May. It's too late to put up a a slate for this May. So if today's meeting doesn't go anywhere, do we really think Elon's going to stick around for a year 
and, and hope they'll consider different sorts of bids or combinations? Probably not. So if you're not in it, I don't think I'd rush into it right now. I think probably most of the money has already been made. Okay, so um, so many important points that you make and give me areas to, to jump off on. John and Jerry, and I start with you. Number one, on the idea of Google, um, regulatory approval. Can any big technology company like a Google do a deal with Twitter? Would it get approved? Not a chance. Now, so that's one Not issue. Not a chance. Th- th- Josh, that's, that's one issue. Josh is right, though. But Josh is right. It would make a ton of sense. And, uh, you know, uh, it, but regulatorily, it will not fly. You could not see Facebook or Google make a move on this company at all, I don't believe, Scott. The, the more I think, you know, they. Hold your ahead. thought just one second. Hold your what thought. What about Microsoft? You. Mm-hmm. I'm going to come back to you, Doc, in a second um, to entertain this, because I think the mm-hmm. more important point that Josh makes is going back at Prince Alwaleed, who says it doesn't. These are my paraphrasing his words. It doesn't adequately value the, the company based on their growth prospects. That's basically what he's saying. And what you would what expect. Growth? Hold on. And what you, what you're, you're, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, you're, I'm making your point too, okay? They, they come out like every company who doesn't want to take the bid and says it doesn't adequately value the company based on our own internal plan. We've got this thing in place and it's going to grow and blah, blah, blah. And it's going to be worth a lot more than, than you're offering. To Josh's point, right, Twitter has the board meeting at at 10 a.m. They go in there. They say, "Okay, we got this bid. Do we think it's legit? Right. Um, Do we believe it? Right. Do we want to accept it? And they say, "Nah, we don't we don't want to accept it because we don't think it adequately values the company either. Here's the problem. Do they really have a credible plan, Doc, in place internally? Let's say a five year plan that can either meet or exceed the bid that Elon Musk has made. You can't just reject the bid because you don't like it. Do they have a credible plan in place to grow the business, to credibly say we can reject it? Why do I bring that up? Because if they just reject it and say that, and then Musk says, you know what, I'm out, and the shares crater, and then you get shareholder lawsuits, what do they have to prove that their rejecting of the bid was legit and worthwhile? So I think everybody's expecting them to maybe reject it because they want a higher bid or maybe they want a bid from somebody else and they want Musk to take a hike, kind of like Mark Cuban was suggesting on Twitter. But those are important things to consider here. Yeah, I mean, you don't need to look much further, Scott, than Yahoo um, when they rejected that bid and the stock tanked and uh, never got uh, basically back to the same sort of level of interest from outside buyers. Um, I do agree with Josh, as I said. Um, I just think regulatorily, it does not fly. Antitrust, you know, they'd, they'd spend so much money and be so distracted for so long at Google. Um, that might be wonderful on one hand, but on the other hand, just I don't think that dog will not hunt, nor will Facebook. I don't even know if a Microsoft um, could make that after they took in LinkedIn. Because I think, again, I think antitrust just kicks in all over the place, Scott. Um, So uh, to Josh's other point, though, they do not justify the level of 45 to 50 dollars a share, let alone 5420. (laughs) Love the 420 there, Elon. Right. Um, (laughs) Yeah, of course. No accident, Uh, obviously. But uh, no, no accident at all. And Grimes must have smiled when she saw that, too, Scott. 
But when you've got uh, a, a company that earns as little uh, to the takes as little to the bottom line as these guys do, it is tough this far into the maturation of this company to say, oh, yeah, it's worth 50 bucks a share. It is not. Um, and, and there's no engagement. If it's Prince. Yep. Prince Allweed and the rest of these guys, they could buy it. Um, but again, they'd be pissing away their money then. Um, if you don't make significant changes at Twitter, Hi, um, th there's no way this thing's worth 50 bucks a share. But that, that, that's no what way. sort of my, that, that, I think that's the point that Josh is making. And the, the issue, Steve Weiss, that, yep. I, that I raise, um, they can say whatever they want, but do they have a legitimate plan to grow the stock price, to grow the business, to grow users? And frankly, they haven't proven that they do. And now they have a new CEO who's got to lay out this plan. Now he's going to have to lay it out one way or the other. And the market's going to have to judge as to whether they believe it's credible or not. So, I mean, you know, for those who are suggesting that, oh, of course they're going to reject it, they have the, res they, the board has the responsibility, uh, a fiduciary responsibility to just reject it. I mean, that may be, that may be correct, you know, clearly, um, based on the first bid. You know, who takes the first and last from the from the first person? Um, I don't know. What do you think? Well, what I think is that the board will reject it. And yes, the board and the CEO believe they have a credible plan. I don't think that the CEO is just appointed because, hey, next one in line, next person up. They appointed the board appointed him as CEO because in the interviewing process, even though he's known commodity within the company, he, he put forth a plan to turn the company around. So, look, there could be lawsuits, but there'll be ambulance chasers coming out and saying, okay, pay me $200,000 and I'll get off your back. That's all that's going to happen. Knowing the Delaware courts extremely well, they don't, even, they don't even like shareholder suits for companies that get sold for $50 that are worth 100 that are actually sold, so there'll be nothing here. So yes, they will reject it. My advice is move on. There are other opportunities in the market. Twitter remains a cesspool. It's always gonna be a cesspool. It's a waste of time. Elon Musk, however, is the one CEO, I believe, as opposed to Jack Dorsey, that can manage this company, as well as SpaceX, as well as Tesla, because the guy is a genius. He works 24 hours a day. He's got vision. But I do believe it would dilute his personal wealth too much. Not that he cares. And it would dilute his interest, even though he could do it. So, look, so I think antitrust will be an issue, clearly. Uh -huh. So no big companies are going to do it. And, it look, if you've owned Twitter for a long time, you've been running in place. Best case. So, that's no, the, I, I just don't think the there's, pressure, there's anything right? here. That, that's part of the pressure that puts Twitter in a box, so to speak. Because they've been running in place. Whatever plan they've had to grow engagement and users, it obviously hasn't been working. Where does Dorsey net out on this whole thing? Um, who knows? He's close to Elon, apparently. <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. Doc, you do have mm -hmm. calls, though. Josh used to own the stock. He doesn't anymore. Weiss wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. You have, you have options in it today. I do. Yep. And uh, I was selling when the news came out this morning, Scott, selling stock. Um, the stock was close to $52 a share in the pre-market. Quickly turned from there to breaking 50 again, um, to only being up 3%, and I guess that was like 47 and a half, and now it's negative on the day. 
So, I mean, I think the market's telling you everything you need to know about what they anticipate that the board's going to do, reject that bid. Uh, Elon's patience, how long will it last? Probably not very. Um, and so um, I still own the 44. Yeah, I still own the 44 calls, maybe just like a two minute egg, Josh. Um, I still own the 44 calls now. I've rolled down from the 50s to the 44s. Mm. I'm short from the 52, 50, or 52 all the way to the 55 strike call, Scott, because I don't see a lot of upside out of this one from here. And the premium that he was paying, as he said in that note, um, that you know has been circulated around, um, he was paying 54% premium to when he first started buying the stock, 38% from when that bid was announced, yeah. if it was 54.20. Well, um, and if anybody wants to step in and pay more, go ahead. I don't think that happens. Well, see, that's part of the point, right? Wedbush today says, not so sure the deal gets done. Stiefel downgrades it to right. sell, uh, quote, sell Twitter stock on this full-blown Elon circus. And it goes to you, Shannon, to the point that Josh started us out with. Uh, he wouldn't touch the stock here. Um, would you on the hope that there's a white knight out there? No, I mean, I, I think the board's been put in an untenable position now. They don't certainly don't want to accept this bid. Um, but, you know, either way, the outcome's going to be negative, I think, for them. They don't accept the bid. That's clearly going to be what happens. And we get into a situation where we go back to what Josh was talking about. If you think about the platform that Twitter affords its users and the fact that they have been unable to monetize a platform that many people see as their first and perhaps only outlet for social media. Uh, it just goes to the fact that maybe the upside here for the stock is that could we actually catalyze a change in the business to create some value over the course of the next couple of years, to create a wider addressable market for them, for them to be actually able to monetize it. And so I think that's a longer game, right? I mean, I think we have to get past this particular period. I don't think there's going to be a competing bid. Um, I think the board's going to dig in their heels and say, we've got a plan. Um, that plan may come to fruition over the course of the next two to three years. But I think you've got to wait and see. And, and trying to uh, navigate what is likely to be an emotional up and down over the course of the next couple of days. If you are a shareholder, I wouldn't enter into a position right now. Josh, last word to you before we take a break. The big problem here is that people don't tweet like celebrities. You look, even Elon put out a tweet. Look at these quote unquote top 10 accounts. Some of them haven't sent a tweet yet this year because there's no benefit to it. So the paradox of Twitter, unless you're Elon and fearless and are actually looking for um, an uproar. The paradox of Twitter is that the bigger your account gets, the more risk incrementally you're adding to your life or your corporation or organization's life um, versus whatever potential upside, which can only shrink. And if you have a platform that's built that way, it's, it's almost like an existential problem. So big accounts go dormant as soon as there's more risk than reward and people stop engaging. We already know that 92% of, of tweets are sent by like the top 10% of power users. It's a lot of progressive political activists, alt-right people, uh, Bitcoin psychos. It's fun, right? It's fun. They don't know nearly as much about these users as Meta knows about its users, even as Snap. No, because people on Snap, people on Instagram, Facebook, 
They're living their actual real lives. A pumped up version of it, but still. People on Twitter are living in an alternate reality. It's very tough to monetize that mm -hmm. in the way that Zuckerberg has been able that, to. That's so why, that's been the existential problem for Twitter all along. That's why I use the word credible when I talk about a plan. Yes, of course they're gonna, they have a plan, right? Is it deemed credible versus the what only, Josh Scott, just laid out? The only, the only interesting plan that I've heard, the only interesting plan, and I think this is probably along the lines that Fred Wilson may be thinking, and maybe even Mr. Musk is thinking this way. Let's see if this could be the first publicly traded company to go fully decentralized and become some sort of a, a, of a DAO. Let's see if we can have a situation where we take all this algorithmic stuff off that the media and the advertisers want and we, and we clean up some of the free speech issues and we just let it fly and a lot of people will leave because they're not gonna like what other people are able to say and whatever, like if somebody is really willing to put up that kind of money and claim that free speech is the main reason they want to do that, maybe that would be an interesting experiment. I, I, don't, I don't know that that's feasible or realistic, but okay. that's the most interesting thing right. that could so happen. So let's do this. Let's take a quick break. Uh, we mentioned the markets today. Rates are up, up and down the curve by about 4%. There's the 10-year. It's back at 280. The Nasdaq's down nearly 200. We're going to come back and talk more broadly about the markets, what we're thinking now. Doc has unusual activity still to come as well. We're back in just two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Let's take a look at the markets right now. There you go. Uh, the the uh, Nasdaq, as I've been mentioning, because of what interest rates are doing today, or at least one of the reasons, uh, 280 on the 10-year, Nasdaq's lower. Uh, let's kick this around, because I do wonder, Shannon, given some of the commentary that we've gotten this week, we've had some nice moves in the market as well as to whether the positives are starting to line up, whether it is simply time to not be as negative as we've been, right? The Tom Lee point of view, bad news is in. PPI, red hot, market goes up. Liz Ann Saunders, some encouragement in monthly inflation data she talks about. BTIG's Krinsky, we cite him a lot on this show. On the NYSE, more than 80% of volume was in advancing stocks for the first time since March 16th. Well, that occurrence did kick off a very strong rally. Typically, we need to see back-to-back 80% -back upside volume days to suggest a durable low is in place. Scott Minard says he thinks stocks can go up. JP Morgan raises GDP. Is it time to be more positive? 
Yeah, well, I think there's a lot of oscillation right now between people who were calling for, you know, sort of the demise of the, the U.S. economy two weeks ago, and now all of these uh, trends are starting to uh, improve. And I think that's what it's about, uh, Scott. If we think about not only from a technical perspective in the marketplace, but on the economic side, the trend needs to be your friend. And so I think we are starting to see, which I think is a positive, people looking at the trend rather than these uh, top-level uh, data points, because I think put in a, putting those top-level data points in a historical context, anything that you're talking about right now, you're talking about inversion, putting that into a historical context and saying, hey, this really doesn't fit in you know, the equation of what we've seen historically for inversions. Uh, I think that the other thing that we have to think about is you know, where is the, the softness in the consumer economy? Where is it going to come? And how is that going to impact some of the areas and the industries that we've been looking for to rebound in the back half of the year? Um, is it going to affect services or goods more? Is it going to affect increasing spend on things like healthcare? So I think what we're doing from, an, from a stock market perspective is that we're looking at, yes, it's going to be slower, but maybe not as bad as we thought. And in with a backdrop of a slower economy, but still a positive economy, how do you want to be positioned? And are we seeing some not only economic trends improve, but ha perhaps a tailwind for factors such as quality um, and an emphasis on things like free cash flow that we haven't seen that afford us some opportunity into the back half of the year? So sentiment, obviously, is bearish to say the least but spoke today talks about the aaii that's the american association of individual investors their reading came in at just 15.8 percent that's the least bullish individual investors have been since september of 1992 the cnbc all america survey only 28 percent of you thought stocks were a good place to be right now that is the lowest reading in the 15-year history that we've been doing that Steve Weiss probably voted in that because he's a market hater. <laughs> right, Weiss? Yep. I, I hate the market, and, and I'm beginning to hate all the bulls because the bulls are keeping the market from bottoming. So, look. Well, it, they say it, it bottomed already. Facts are market. Well, maybe it did, but I'm betting it didn't. We even, haven't even had the first 50 basis point tightening. You went from a global, coordinated global easy money policy, free money, not even easy, free money, to a global tightening. Europe's going to tighten. Asia's going to tighten eventually. We're tightening. So the market's not going to go up, period. But the, the bounces like we had the, the other day yesterday. The bond market's done some of the Fed's work for it, Steve. We have had a 50 basis point tightening. If you look at interest rates. Undoubtedly. But we're going to have more of them. We're going to have more of them. Yeah, the market, so look, market knows that. So many people get paid. So many, so many people, the market knows it. Does the market know that earnings are going to be down, that margins are going to be much lower? No, because the analysts, the S&P earnings, haven't come down meaningfully, less than 1%. So you can't tell me the market knows it when the estimates haven't come down. So who exactly knows it? Does Tom Lee know it? The parable? He's been great. But I think you've got issues here. So markets don't always go up. We overshot on, on multiple expansion to the upside because of free money. Doesn't it make sense that there's a possibility we can overshoot and stay down lower to the downside as earnings come in poor, as margins get hit? Of course it does. So you've got to stop being so bullish, everybody. 
They couch their bearishness and bullishness. So I disagree with what you. What do you mean, bullish I, everybody? Yes, everybody. What do you Forget mean, bullish about everybody? The AA, I, just the AA, gave, I just gave you the, the surveys. AA, Everybody's the, bearish. The AA. <laughs> Who's everybody? Scott, it does. It does. Scott, as I've said often on this show, it does no good to talk over people. Um, look, the AAI Why are you talking over me, then? is useless. The AAI has been useless. The AI has been worthless for years. Who cares? Okay? It's the index funds. They drive it all, and you can say, yeah, it's retail, retail investors going in there. But the facts are, I think we stay down here. I don't know that we go down another 20%, but I don't see a 20% rally. I don't see a 10% rally here. If we do, be a seller because it's coming back down. Doc? Okay? This is an unusual period. We've never seen a period like this. Okay. I mean, yeah, right. It's not different this time. I, I, I hear you, Dr. J. Right. It you is different how, this time. You see how riled It is up. different. You see how riled... That's my. I, I agree with you on that. You see how riled up he gets. I mean, look, everybody's negative. No, who's positive? Like, like five people are positive. Who else is positive? Should you be more positive? That's my Raise point. Hand Maybe it's a contrarian indicator, right? That's what some like Scott yeah, Miner the well, other day is like. Whenever I hear the Fed get this hawkish, I get bullish. Yeah, well, and uh, I'm not surprised that Scott, a very smart guy, market analyst for Guggenheim, would say that. Um, doesn't mean he'll be right or that I'll be right, but it certainly feels, Scott, like um, a lot of the uh, moves that the bond market has made already, which are substantial and pushing higher again today in the yield, price down, yield up again. Um, I think the, uh, the, you know, this three, three handle, um, which isn't far away, 20, you know, 20 more to the upside and we're there. Uh, I, I'm surprised that we got as quickly back to that 280 whatever that we're at right now, Scott. Um, and I do think that uh, you could see um, all that negativity that you cited um, perhaps reverse because people are too negative. To uh, Stephen, I love you to death, but I don't know where these positive people are that are out there thinking that Nabe's things John. are just rosy and sunny, John, all Nabe. those bulls. I don't know where they hurry, are. Hurry up. We got 30 seconds. John, so John, that. John, ahead, John. 30 seconds. 20, that's 20 for you. Yeah. John, Scott, John, Scott, whoever. Name one strategist. Name one member of this panel, aside from me, and one strategist, aside from Mike Wilson, who's come on the show and is not bullish. Name one. Not bullish? I mean... Of you course, can't. You, you were, you, I think we you can't. You were like, name one strategy. You didn't mention Mike Wilson. Then it's like, you're like, oh, I'm Mike Wilson. I got to mention I, Mike Wilson because he's. I said he's name one except for Mike Wilson. You just have Brian Belsky too much in, in your head because he's got the highest target. We're going to do this. We're going to take a break. Up next, no, John, name has, one. John has. A, don't talk over me, like you said. <laughs> we have unusual activity coming up. Halftime is <laughs> back after this. <laughs> what does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. 
Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Here's our CNBC News update this hour. The United States cannot definitely say what damaged the Russian Navy's flagship in the Black Sea. But a senior defense official says the Moskva has experienced significant damage with what's being called an extensive big fire that appears to be still burning. The ship, still afloat, is moving toward Crimea. Ukraine says it hit the Moskva with a missile. Russia counters the damage was caused by an onboard fire. Former Trump advisor Stephen Miller appeared virtually today for testimony to the House panel investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol. That, according to NBC News, quoting a person familiar with the panel's activities. No word on whether he is cooperating and answering questions. In its subpoena, the committee accused Miller of helping to spread lies about supposed voter fraud in the 2020 election. And as he prepared to sign a bill banning abortions after 15 weeks, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said the measure provides the most significant protections for life that have been enacted in the state in a generation. There are no exceptions for rape, incest, or human trafficking. Scott, back to you. Gooms, thanks so much. All right, it's time for unusual activity. Dr. J, tell us what you see today, please. All right. Well, uh, Nike, for the past couple of days, Scott, NKE shares have been on fire. Um, moving up from, I think, the 125 to about 133 level, something like that. And they're buying um, the uh, September 135 strike. And by the way, um, I'm in those Nike calls at the 130 strike. They're buying the <coughs> 135s. Second one, real quick, Farfetch, FTCH, luxury goods, digital sales and so forth. These guys dropped pretty big today, and on that dip, somebody jumped in and bought a lot. They bought uh, 5,000 of the May 15 calls, a dollar out of the money. Lastly, uh, TLT. When this trader, whoever it is, trades, they've been right and right and right. They're buying again, Scott, puts to the downside. They're betting that rates go up because, of course, if the bond goes down, rates are pushing up. They're buying at the 120 strike. They expire next Friday. They bought 20,000. That's 2 million share equivalent. It's a big trader. Like I say, I first talked with you about it at 129, then 127, then 125. Now they're buying the 120s with a next week expiration. Okay, Scott. Doc, thank you very much. We're going to take a quick break. Then when we come back, thank you. we've got earnings from the banks today. Weiss has Goldman Sachs. We've got some other ownership there. Plus, Tom Lee is talking about beef. I'm going to explain. It's about what you should be buying right now. All right. Big banks reporting yet again this morning. I want to start with Wells Fargo. Let's see the stock, please, because it was getting creamed earlier when I saw it. Uh, Dr. J, you have calls. I'm told the stock's coming up. It's so ugly they don't even want to show it to you. There it is. Down almost 5%. Thank God. Doc, here's Kramer, okay? Kramer said the following. I was disappointed by Wells. I made a mistake not selling it at 54, 55. I'm extremely disappointed in Charlie Scharf. He hasn't been able to fix the bank yet. When I see this, it makes me angry. Well, uh, it, it, it makes me sad, um, but not necessarily angry except at myself. I don't think Mr. Scharf could uh, really have done a lot better uh, in this quarter. We've only really seen Citi 
come out with some pretty stellar numbers, Scott. The rest of them, not so much. It's a tough environment for these guys. Um, so I, I've uh, written upside calls, as I usually do, against calls that I own on these banks. And that includes Bank America, as well as uh, Wells um, and J.P. Morgan. So what I'd like to do, Scott, is collect about 3% a month. We slammed through that this morning. So in other words, I don't have any protection left from that covered call. I haven't wanted to roll it down yet, but that might be something I have to do. Okay. Um, Morgan Stanley was, is one of the top S&P gainers. Let's talk Goldman, though, um, because that's where we have ownership on today's show. Steve Weiss, you own Goldman. There's the stock basically doing nothing. It was a beat top and bottom. Yeah, yeah, and, and I appreciate Doc's self-analysis, but, but stay away from my Goldman. They did perform. They beat top and bottom, as you say, which is unbelievable in this environment. So look, the cream rises to the top. This is one of the best franchises in financials. B of A, of course I own it, being the other. And I think they'll have a good, a decent quarter also relative to expectations. And to the point that everything's priced in the market, well, I guess this wasn't because of where the stock was trading. And to the point that the market is a bear market, look at the stock after earnings. So I continue to own it. It's one I've not shaved. I'm going to stay there. The, the, the yield curve will steepen, and they will do well regardless. I don't know. So regardless, go I mean, Shannon, John, do you, keep your comments to itself. Shannon, do you, do you buy that, that these things are going to do, do well? Um, I mean, because their stocks are meh, right? Yeah. It's been a really challenging time. I mean, you know, I, we've been very diversified. We own J.P. Morgan, um, but we've been diversifying our financials exposure exchanges, names like Schwab, um, because we think this is going to be con a continued challenging environment um, for kind of large money center banks over the course of the next couple quarters. OK, I should let you know, too, the Wells Fargo CFO is going to be on the closing bell. That's three o'clock Eastern today. It's a first on CNBC interview. All right. Coming up. The Dow stock, one firm says, is a, quote, place to hide amid the uncertain economic picture. The debate is next. It's our call of the day. Let's talk IBM. It was upgraded to overweight at Morgan Stanley, saying it's, quote, a place to hide during growing economic risks. It's one of our calls of the day. Shannon, you own it. Um, I mean, let's just call it like it is, right? You don't feel like it gets upgraded all that much. Uh, nor do you often find it called a place to hide during growth uh, economic risks. Yeah, it's I mean, it's an interesting call, uh, you know, really like the stock. It's got a very strong dividend yield. Um, we're coming into earnings next week, and I think the focus is going to be on on Red Hat and software growth. You know, they're, position, they're repositioning their overall business and pivoting, and I think it's an important um, acknowledgement that they continue to return capital to shareholders while they're doing that. Um, and so I do see this as sort of a safer place within the technology sector, um, but we do think that there's going to be growth here, and it's not just sort of a sit-and-wait staple um, of, the, of the sector, as some have described it. I mean, do why isn't it going to be, right? I mean, I think it's like there are a lot of bears on, on IBM who would say, what is going to get this thing going? Um, everybody talks about the same stories, right? Cloud, Red Hat, the integration of that, new CEO, right? A lot of respect for, for him. Um, the stock hasn't done anything in, in a year. Why is it going to be any different this time? No, and... 
Yeah, I mean, it's all about execution, right? And that's what the, the issue has been. And, and, you know, we used to talk about this in terms of, of Intel, you know, for, for years, right, ad nauseum. I, I think what we are looking for is that they are moving into an environment. And Red Hat is a, a very successful brand um, for them. And if they can continue to, to create additional success off of that platform, that where is where the catalyst is going to be for IBM. It, there's an execution question. But again, you're getting paid to see if they can execute on this new business model. And the transition away from their legacy business is a critical change that, if they can do it properly, will create this as a growing enterprise for the next three, or five, three to five years. Josh, you touched this thing? Uh, it's dead money. It's below the 50. It's below the 200. It's uh, it's in the middle of the range, basically no man's land. Uh, it, I don't I don't think there's a ton of risk to the downside. Maybe the right way to think about it um, is take the five and a quarter percent yield, which is still a pretty high yield, even given uh, what's going on with rates and pretend it's a convertible. So if and when it ever does break out to the upside, it's like you had a convertible bond turn into an equity. It ain't an equity right now. It's a bond. It's boring. Shan, um, I'm not, I don't think we need another word on IBM. I know how you feel. You hold the stock. You obviously hope that it improves and you think that it will with better execution and some other things. Honeywell, though, was named a catalyst called Buy Idea at Deutsche Bank today. The price target goes to 230 and you own that as well. Yeah, we've been talking about Honeywell for a couple of years. So one of the things that we think about in terms of building our overall portfolio is this undercurrent of technology um, outside of the technology sector. And if you think about the way that Honeywell executes on its business, it's continuing to grow its operating margins and by focusing on execution and the incorporation of technology into its processes. It's really hard to be an industrial conglomerate and get people excited about what you're doing. But I think if you're looking to find companies that can continue to innovate, innovate and disrupt and have a, a cyclical tailwind like Honeywell should have over the course of the next couple of years. Um, it's a great, you know, sort of big heavy in the industrial space to add to the portfolio. Doc, you like it or not? I do. I like Honeywell, um, but I see everybody moving their price targets down, even though they reiterate their buys. So that tells you an awful lot, Scott, that the analysts aren't looking for nearly as much upside as they were just a week or two weeks ago. Okay. Uh, stay with us. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. We've got some earnings next week that we need to talk about. We'll do that next. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Real debate and actionable advice from the Investment Committee, plus unusual activity and more. Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. Let's keep that wall up for a second, because there you see the 10 years moving a little bit higher, 282. As the 10-year gains in yield today, the Nasdaq sinks uh, one and three quarters percent, 234 to the downside is the Nasdaq. Now we're red across the board. Not that much, obviously, on the Dow. S&P's down shy of one percent. That's a loss of, of 38 points. So we're having trouble trying to put two or three decent days together. So, guys, I, I want your opinions on this. Josh Brown, I'm going to start with you. I, I spoke with Tom Lee in overtime yesterday, and this is not necessarily a new idea from him. But when you are still sort of pushing or doubling down on ideas in this environment, I think it's relevant. He says you can buy, and it's an acronym, BEEF, Bitcoin, Bitcoin equities like Coinbase, Energy, and FANG. 
which is interesting given where tech is, right? We're talking about volatility in the NASDAQ, volatility in Bitcoin. Um, what do you make of this call and whether you think energy can continue to rise? Is this a good strategy going with the beef? I love it. I love Tom Lee. Bitcoin is every bit as boring as the stock market right now. Like literally every day I wake up and I can't wait to see, is it 39 or 41,000? Like literally, who cares? Let, until crypto markets break out, it's like, it, it's like one of those things on your desk with the metal ball back and forth. Um, and it's definitely not digital gold. It looks more like digital NASDAQ. So, and there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a crypto loser I thought also. You, I thought you um, were Coinbase. I, didn't, yeah, you sold I, it? I own all this. I own, I own all this. Uh, you, you wouldn't believe this, the, the things I've bought. Listen, I think what, what sometimes, sometimes it's worth remembering that um, market corrections happen through time and not always through price, and they grind you down because you're watching the same breakouts fail, you know, right where they should happen. And you're trapped in that VIX range, right? Where 1920, people are way too pessimistic. 28, 29, all right, relax, calm down. The Fed, the Fed is hiking. And, and you just end up in this no man's land with nothing happening. That's kind of where we are now. I know it doesn't make for great TV, but this is what I do. I tell people the truth. If you have other hobbies, like any, any, any yard work you've been thinking about getting to, because that's really what's happening right now. Nothing but a whole lot of planting. Okay. Um, you, uh, in other words, you can go eat lunch, I guess. Uh, Weiss, uh, energy <laughs> and fang, right? The idea that energy still has legs when some suggest that it's running out of gas and the idea that you can buy fang and you're going to get Netflix earnings next week. Just what's your view here? Hey, uh, I'm that rare person who didn't make a dime in energy over the last year, last two years. I've missed it all, so I'm definitely not getting in at this level, although I think current prices are sustainable. Uh, but the company is going to really pick up their budget in terms of deploying CapEx, which shareholders have told them not to spend in prior cycles, so now they're going to catch up because they've underspent on it. In terms of FANG, yeah, I've got my FANG exposure. I, I think that they're, you know, they're going to hold tight. Uh, but I wouldn't be buying them here. I'd look to buy them lower. Because remember, Scott, I'm a bear. Yes, you are. You are a notable bear. I am. <laughs> okay, we're going to take a quick yes, break. Sir. Final trades coming up next. All right, we have earnings next week, but I was just told as well that XPO Logistics, XPO, Weiss, Bear Man, <laughs> that's a new 52-week low today. It's down 5%. What's up with that? Yeah, and uh, let's go behind the scenes. The reason you were just told about it is because I just told Patty, our Cracker Jack producer, about All right. it. All right, well. Look, add this to, doing, add this to the list of that, things I if hate. It, if it can add aggravation to the rest You're of welcome. this program for you, I'm all for it. 5% down, what's going on? <laughs> well, it, and it is. So add this to my list of haters. I hate the people selling this stock, okay? I hate them with a passion today because they're causing me some pain. The fundamentals are... Excellent. Now, yes, freight prices have come down, but you've got two assets. You've got tremendous value creation that's going on here. The most technologically advanced freight broker that's being spun out. Now, we'll have to wait a few months for that. And in terms of GXO, I mean, you're seeing, as Andy Jassy said today in his interview with Andrew Ross Sorkin, uh, 1% of the world is online commerce. Guess who's right in the heart of that? GXO. 
So, yeah, it's a tough time. It's a tough time for me as I think about these stocks. But I'll get through it, Scott, and I appreciate your concern. You're going to stay they with would be a lot higher six months <laughs> a year from now. You stay with yeah, all I'm these transports, with right? You're I mean, damn right, Scott. Wow, that's You're good conviction right. from you, Steve. Sorry. Sorry to talk over you then. No worries. Um, Shannon, as okay. we look to earnings next week, you've got Anthem, Bank of New York, Schwab, Anthem. What are we thinking? Are you optimistic? Because that's the real heart of earnings season starting, right? I mean, the, the banks kick us off, but then we start to get into the real nuts and bolts of earnings. Yeah, I mean, with UNH this morning, um, you look at Anthem, you look at the, the loss ratio that's going to come through for them. Um, you know, it's starting to be, you know, you can start to see the improvement in Anthem in the, in the multiple already. Um, but we expect that to be a good report next week. Uh, you know, from, from my vantage point, you look at, you know, Schwab, uh, Bank of New York. Um, we've got, you know, a couple of financials that aren't necessarily going to trade exactly in line with Wells and City, as we've seen. Um, and so just looking for the... The some of the things that we've seen already continuing into next week and um, Anthem and Schwab are two that I think are going to have pretty good reports. Netflix is for like 40 or 50 percent off of its high. You own that, too. It is. Shan, do we start stemming that or what? Um, Um, Well, I was going to say, you know, related to Tom Lee's comment, I think Fang is like the new brick, right? There's going to start to be a lot of dispersion between these names. um, And I I think that Netflix is going to have to show that it deserves uh, the multiple that it's been um, afforded um, as a high growth stock over the next couple of years. There's a lot of competition here. I love the content. I love their creation. I think they have first mover advantage, but they need to start to show that they can maintain that um, through the next uh, two to three years. Let me get a quick final trade from you, if I could, please. Um, my final trade is going to be Schwab. Uh, okay. You know, very little market or uh, very little credit risk here. Okay. So. Uh, Doc, I know you, you have Netflix calls, your favorite streamer as well, so you'll be Looking forward to those earnings. But give me your final trade, please. Well, and they added those thumbs up to the Netflix app. So check that one out, Scott. National Oil Well Varco, NOV. Stock has nearly doubled since December. It's going a lot higher. They're buying upside calls. I bought those. Okay, Mr. Angry. (laughs) Sorry, is Jim Leventhal on or are you referring to me? Uh, Cash. What do you think, Scott? You even had to ask cash. Wow. Okay. Dan Niles. Uh, Josh Brown. (laughs) Quick. Better better than cash. S-H-Y. 30-day SEC yield almost 1.5%. All right. No cold strikes in this game. All right. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.